You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Joe Devalis with the uh, Safe Senior Hour. Um, we're going to have two great guests today, uh, and we're honored to have both of them. And um, our, uh, our, our guest in studio is Melanie McNeil the uh, state of Georgia long-term care ombudsman. Welcome. Thank you, Melanie. She's been a guest before. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. And on the line is uh, Beverly Laubert, if I pronounced it right, who is the uh, state of Ohio's long-term care ombudsman. Beverly, uh, Bev, I appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think this will be an interesting topic. We, We started... When I was at uh, speaking to 300 senior citizens uh, over in uh, uh, East Georgia, uh, and they were concerned about information of a report that came out from the federal government, from two senators, talking about uh, long-term care places, particularly nursing homes in this case, that were on these special lists. And the people, I had several people in a little group after our meeting say, what should we do? Who should we talk to? Should we pull our, our loved ones out? Should we put them into those places? Um, what should we do here? So uh, with that, um, we, just, we need to uh, um, just kind of help the citizens understand about this report, what it meant, and and being a retired uh, federal agent, I understand a lot of times people don't want to go to law enforcement, but they want to talk to somebody. And it has been the great education dealing with Melanie and some of your other associates that the ombudsman program is great. So with that, it was a long lead-in, but that's it. So if I could uh, just, I'll just turn it over to Melanie on this list. Can you give us an idea of, of well, let's start with you the scope of the ombudsman program in georgia sure so i'll talk a little about what we do and then bev will talk a little bit about what she does in ohio and then we'll focus in on the special right right focus facilities so across the country every state has a state long-term care ombudsman and a long-term care ombudsman program we're advocates for people who live in long-term care facilities whether that's a nursing home or personal care home, what what some folks call boarding care homes. And assisted living, a lot of people recognize that term. We are advocates who address the issues for residents, and we're directed by them. We're not like law enforcement. We don't take action unless the resident gives us permission to do that. Sometimes people just need to make us aware of a situation. Some people really do want us to take some action. Some want us to investigate and then come back to them and decide what to do from there. And that's what we do. We try to watch out for residents' rights and for the interest of the residents. We act at the residents' direction and on their behalf. Sometimes we can resolve problems informally with facilities. Not always. Sometimes we need to go to the regulators, and that's how this special focus facility stuff comes forward and we'll talk a little bit more about that and then sometimes uh, sometimes people will give us the approval to go to law enforcement if 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 it's really warranted so the state of georgia i, I don't know how many people we have population i think so 12, about, about eight million I eight think. million yeah, yeah but most of it's in metro 
Atlanta, I think. About half. Half of it, and the rest is, is very rural. So how many um, associates of yours do you have throughout the state? Because you cover the whole state. We do. So in Georgia, we have about 45 ombudsman representatives, hmm. and we require that they visit the long-term care facilities quarterly. And most mm-hmm. of our folks are able to visit all of their facilities quarterly. Part of the reason for that is to get to know residents. Right. And they get to know us, and then they become comfortable with what we do and how we might be able to help. Now, Bev, in her state, Ohio, Ohio is much bigger right. population-wise. And so uh, let me turn it over to Bev. Sure, that's right. Yeah, what great. happens in Ohio, how she's set up and what they do. Bev, do you want to talk a little bit about the Ohio program? Sure. Um, Ohio is a um, decentralized ombudsman office where we contract with local entities to uh, provide ombudsman services. We designate them from um, the state office. We have about 75 paid ombudsmen right now um, and about 200 volunteers, but we're very excited um, that our General Assembly and Governor uh, just uh, worked on legislation to um, significantly increase our resources. So over the next couple of years, we hope to be adding about 20 um, positions um, in Ohio. So we'll have a, a much better ability to be present. Um, we have, uh, counting all types of long-term care facilities, uh, we have well over 2,000 uh, in Ohio. And we also have expanded our role in Ohio to also advocate for individuals receiving care and services in their homes or in the community, as well as uh, consumers that have managed care plans. Um, so we're um, beyond the, the facility advocacy uh, in Ohio as well. But um, that special focus list is something that's a, a big priority of ours, and uh, we've been trying to get that candidate list for a long time, so we're very happy that it's available now. Uh, let me just um, just try to clarify some, some issues for our listeners. Our listeners, as you know, this is a web radio program, so it goes all over the United States but all over the world. Um, is this unique uh, to both of you? Is this unique, an ombudsman program to the United States, or is this uh, pretty much, if you know, is this common, for example, Canada, Europe, or Asia? So, some other countries do have ombudsman, uh-huh. long-term care ombudsman. In fact, uh, folks in Taiwan had a conference in November. They're starting, they have been they've had a pilot program for long-term care ombudsman and so they invited a representative someone who was our former national director of ombudsman programs to come and talk about what we do to advocate on behalf of long-term care residents bev are you aware of other countries that have long-term care ombudsman there are all kinds of ombudsman around the world but i'm not sure about how many other countries have long-term care ombudsman Right. I really think the United States, um, through the Federal Older Americans Act, has formalized um, the long-term care ombudsman uh, over the years uh, from the the origins of the Older Americans Act starting in the 70s. uh, We've had long-term care ombudsman, and the program has evolved from just being an ombudsman for nursing home residents to other types of facilities. And then states also, with additional funding, have the opportunity to... um, 
expand and you know individualize their programs to meet the needs of their own state. Is this a new trend? What Ohio? Are you like the leader uh, of going into just not just facilities? I don't know. Does Georgia? Expanded outside facilities like Ohio. I, I I applaud you all for doing that. I, I really see when you talk to seniors, they need a they need an ear who will listen to them and then can help them. So I, I I'm going to ask Melanie on Georgia. Sure. We used to do. Uh, we used to go into individuals' homes if they were on a particular program. Something called Money Follows the Person. So right. it was a, a resident who moved back to the community from a nursing home. If they had a Medicaid waiver, if they ha- if Medicaid helped to pay for their services, we provided what we call home care ombudsman services. We don't do that any longer. It's it's a service that's still available in Georgia. I don't know who's providing that service or if anyone is currently. And some other states, I think, also do something similar. But it's not. I don't think it's especially widespread. Bev, do you have a feeling about... No, the last time I checked um, with the Ombudsman Resource Center just a couple of weeks ago, there are 10 states that are actively advocating for consumers receiving home and community-based services. We started doing that way back in 1990 in Ohio Mm -hmm. because we felt that with the expansion of uh, Medicaid waivers, which allow um, Medicaid to pay for services in the home for certain eligible individuals, we drastically expanded that in Ohio and felt that uh, one of the missing pieces in that expansion was um, having an ombudsman and advocate for those consumers who have the same level of care as someone receiving nursing home care. So we felt it was very important um, to make sure that they also had an advocate. Uh, I, I think it's just it's just wonderful and and uh, I know one of our goals of the I'm the law enforcement coordinator for the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force, and our goals are are two goals. One is to help educate uh, the citizens, the seniors, and the other is to coordinate law enforcement activity and training with with law enforcement. But as the one just like in, in a lot of these issues, you can't arrest your way out of abuse. And so education, education is important, and and you all play such an important part. And and again, it was a it was a pleasant enlightenment to me to find out what you all do, and and we really try to put put that message out um, that that there is an ear you can go talk to, and and it can be confidential. I think right with you all. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it, that collaboration is so important. I'm glad that you mentioned it. Um, just last week for World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, I was on a panel with our state attorney general's office um, and our state health department to talk about our roles and the unique aspect of each of our roles. And with the ombudsman program, a lot of it is about prevention and then following up at, if there has been abuse, following up with the, the victim and making sure that their needs are being met. They might. We had a situation recently um, working with someone. They just wanted to move to another long-term care facility, so we made sure that that happened and that they were taken care of and that other residents in the facility um, had the opportunity to the, actually training the staff on trauma-informed care so they are more sensitive to the needs of the residents after something like that happens. Well, I, I think that's great. And training, I do know there, there's a, some grants that are going through um, 
right now in uh, in Georgia applications to try to uh, have training at every uh, nursing home facility of the staff. I know our task force has met with various nursing homes and other entities and have conducted limited training what to look for and 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 i'm sure the same things in ohio and that that most of these people are mandated reporters right the the people in the nursing homes bev yes yes um it again will depend on state law uh in ohio um people who work at a nursing home are mandatory reporters ombudsmen are not the the legal receivers of those reports. Many people do report to us, but they really need to be reporting to the state regulatory agency that surveys nursing homes, and then they will do an investigation, but we often will coordinate and collaborate, and then if law enforcement is needed, either working with law enforcement or the state attorney general's office or both. Right. We're about to conclude our first segment, but I do in Georgia, it's a state law that the report must go to uh, APS and law enforcement or health care facilities. So it's a dual reporting. But with that, we're going to take a break and we come back. Uh, we'll talk about this federal report that was released and uh, we'll be back for our second segment shortly. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. The Business Hour, from 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to segment number two. This is uh, Joe Gavellis with the Safe Senior Hour. And today we're very honored to have two guests. Uh, uh, one is the uh, is um, 
Beth uh, Laubert, um, uh, who is the long-term, uh, for the state of Ohio, the long-term care ombudsman. And the other is uh, a former guest here is, uh, uh, is Melanie McNeil, who for the state of Georgia is a long-term care ombudsman for Georgia. And we appreciate you both being on. Um, uh, we talked about in the first segment just some general background of, of what uh, what um, the ombudsman program does and, and and the scope in each state. And it's a little different. I mean, it'll be different based on state regulations, but and the size and the population of the long-term care facilities. We'd like to go uh, what started this whole um, uh, reason for us uh, dwelling on, on the long-term care issues was a report that was issued by two uh, senators. One, from, um, they were both from Pennsylvania. One was Republican, one was Democrat, but it was a long-term, um, uh, dealing with long-term care issues. And uh, we have a copy of the report, and you can go and uh, online and ask for it for the people listening and read it. It's very extensive, has a lot of uh, uh, appendix to it with some very important information. So before we can go in to really talk about that, let's just talk about with both uh, Bev and Melanie, how the federal government rates nursing homes. They have a rating program. Do one of you want to address what how that how that works, the best of your knowledge? Sure. So when folks call us and ask about nursing homes in particular, we direct them to Medicare.gov, who at that website gives some indication of the quality of nursing homes, and they have a five-star rating. We always tell people, even when you look at that and you make a choice, you should go to the facility and check it out yourselves. But it helps families narrow down, you know, to some extent, what options they might have. Bev, do you want to make a comment about Medicare.gov and the five-star rating? Yeah, um, there's, you know, varying perspectives on the five-star rating system, but um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has continually tried to improve uh, the data available. For example, um, there uh, has always been criticism of the staffing data on there uh, because it's self-reported by the nursing homes. But um, in the last year or so, um, CMS has started using payroll-based data, so it's real data um, from nursing homes. They have to submit their payroll information, and um, it really did change the ratings uh, when when it came in as actual data. So that's an example of how CMS is continually trying to improve that data, and despite the criticisms, it is at least consistent. So you can compare one facility against another. But I always caution consumers to not just rely on a star rating system. You want to know more about what creates those stars. So, for example, let's say a facility has a low star rating because they have a high number of pressure sores in their building. If your mother is ambulatory and isn't sitting in one place for a long time because of a stroke or another problem um, or isn't in bed all of the time, then chances are your mother isn't going to have to deal with pressure ulcers. So you have to really look at that data and decide, does this information apply to my situation um, to make a good decision about 
um, whether some where you want to receive care. In Ohio, we also conduct satisfaction surveys in nursing homes and assisted living. We do both family surveys and resident surveys, and that's another piece of information. So the star ratings are one piece of information. Each state um, might have their own. Uh, ombudsman programs can provide information um, to consumers. In Ohio, we will give consumers information about complaints that we have verified in a building so or with a home care agency. Um, so, you know, there are lots of pieces of information that people just need to sort through, and ombudsmen are really good at helping someone sort through that information. That, that's a gra- great point that, again, yeah, you all are a great resource, and they need to contact you. Um, and they can do that before the uh, your, a placement of a, of, a, of a loved one in a, um, in a personal care home. They can come to the ombudsman program and discuss that. Right. And this report um, on special focus facilities is especially helpful because each state only has a, num- a certain number of slots for special focus facilities. And what that means is that the survey agency has to survey those facilities twice as often, so every six months instead of every nine to 15 months one time. They have to be surveyed twice in a year, um, so they get additional scrutiny. But, you know, I don't know how many Georgia has, how many slots Georgia has in Ohio. We have five slots for special focus facilities, but we always have known that there's this candidate list. So one, one facility may close or may graduate from the special focus program, and then another facility is added. But we were never privy to that list of facilities that, you know, is sort of on deck um, to be added for that additional scrutiny. So this list is so very helpful to us. We had a nursing home close very suddenly um, last week, and as we were helping residents make choices about where they wanted to move, a couple of residents mentioned a facility or two that were on this candidate list. So with that additional information already, we've been able to help someone choose a better place. Well, I, I think it's, listen, the, e- education and information is great that people make an informed decision. I, I do want to go back just to clarify. We we talk about the five-star rating. Somebody explain it. There are five stars, and every one is given. One is, I, I mean, is that the minimum? One means right. unacceptable or what? One is just a low rating, and five is the best? Yes, that's how the rating works. It's one to five, and it's uh, several categories of information so that people can look at uh, care, for example, right. and how they what stars they get for that versus other some of the other categories. And so it's it's helpful information. But right. this special list, this uh, candidate list for the special focus facilities, as Bev was saying, is really helpful. For families who might have some options, so if they live in an area that has more than one nursing home nearby, they can look and see, well, this one is on the list for special attention because they have problems, so maybe I'll choose the other. In some parts of our state, I imagine Ohio is the same, and across the country as well, in the really rural areas, 
you might only have one choice, and they might still be on the candidate list. So what families and, and other interested parties might do is just make sure they spend more time with their loved one in that facility watching and trying to intervene sooner if they're seeing that problems are existing. For example, a facility has environmental problems, lots of bugs, for example. Well, the families can advocate on behalf of the residents to get that cleared up. They can call us, the ombudsman program. We could similarly advocate for them to take care of that problem or, or other problems, even for those who aren't on the special focus list or even on the candidate list. We still recommend that families and others who are interested in a resident try and, and spend some time in the facility. But if they're on the candidate list, you might want to spend even well, more. I guess the question to both uh, Bev and Melanie, um, has your agency had access to this list before? Was this the, I mean, this was always, did somebody in the state have it and just didn't get to you all, or was it always a federal document? I, I, I don't know how how the bureaucracy works in the federal system. but yeah, It's a federal list, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the state survey agency make the selection of special focus facilities together um, out from the candidate list. So the candidate list is the pool. Um, we have asked for the list before, but um, CMS would not release it. It said it was, you know, it was confidential just for the survey agency. So um, we're very happy to be able to have it now. Well, I think it, it, it just what you all just said, it was it to the, for the consumer, this is great, and you all have access to it to help them interpret this. I think this, is, this, is, this really has worked out just, just, just great. And, I, and my hat's off to those senators who release this. Um, um, I having been a, a bureaucrat in the government for 30 years, I don't know how the, uh, the the bureaucrats liked it, but I thought, listen, we we need to help people, and that's what this is all about. Now, on this on this um, list, just to make clear, there are two different categories, right? Because we're going to go into more details about this in the next segment. So, can you again what the two categories are, Bev or Melanie? What it, what they mean? Sure. So, those that are designated as special focus facilities are getting the extra attention that Bev was describing, so right. more surveys, in, two surveys a year, where those that are candidates are those that would meet the criteria to be a special focus facility, but the government has only limited resources. And so I believe in Georgia, I think this is true across the country, a state has five slots. Right. And that has more to do with whether the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the survey agencies in the state could actually do what they should for special focus facilities. Is that your understanding, Bev? Yeah, each state has its own slot number of slots. So when the program began, Ohio had nine, and then there was a recession and there was a moratorium placed on selection of special focus facilities. And then when it came back, Ohio was given five slots. So it, I'm not sure how they determine how many slots each state has. But, I mean, looking at the list, it looks like Georgia only has one special focus facility, but I think it was nine candidates. Ohio has five special focus facilities, and um, I think there were 18 additional candidates. The list was not the most current, so it shows one list, one facility on the special focus list that um, 
graduated in Ohio, but um, and then we recently had one close, and so a new one. So the list changes, and it's posted new every month. Um, now we're going to be looking for this candidate list as well. Every but each month. state has its own number of slots. Well, I do. I, 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 I think it's significant, and, and I'm glad you all addressed that. With that, we're going to end the second segment, and we will be back, and we're going to go into some examples. The report talked about uh, what was found. So with that, uh, we'll end the second segment of the Safe Senior Hour. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the third segment of the Safe Senior Hour. Uh, Remember, and we tell everybody every week, uh, elder abuse doesn't report itself. You have to, uh, if you think of any any situation out there that 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 bothers you, please report it. And we identify elder abuse in our organization as um, physical, financial, and institutional. Abuse, and today we're talking about institutional abuse, and we're very honored to have two two guests. Uh, uh, one, uh, Beverly Laubert, who's the uh, long-term care ombudsman for the state of Ohio, and Melanie McNeil, who's the long-term uh, care ombudsman for the state of Georgia. And we've been talking about the study that was released uh, concerning uh, nursing homes that have some. Uh, that the government has said have some special issues that need to be looked at even further than the normal nursing home. So with that, we've already talked about that that list, and the list just came out, and I hope it'll be made available every month or whatever it is for for the for the go- other governmental agencies, so we all can work together. But on the list, um, there was an appendix A that the senator sent out. And they gave some examples of neglect and abuse among the um, 
the SFS, which means stands for Special Focus Facility, and some some areas. So I'm going to have uh, both uh, Bev and Melanie. I'm going to read it so the citizen, so the listeners can understand. And they don't name the facility, but they name the state. And just give your comments whether you've all seen this from an ombudsman point of view or what your thoughts are. The first one <laughs> is in Georgia. And a resident was able to climb out her window and escape. The same resident was found on train tracks with a train approaching. The, Melanie, any thoughts? Right. So this happens in long-term care facilities across the state. Sometimes residents leave the building when they shouldn't leave and then the facility has to then find them fortunately in this instance they actually found the resident even though she was near the train tracks and the train was coming so this facility also had other issues this wasn't the only one that caused them to be on the special focus facility list this is something that you'd want to ask when you're thinking about having a loved one go to a long-term care facility what kinds of protections do you have for residents who may be confused, may have dementia, might wander off? What kinds of things does the facility do? We do have a law in Georgia, too, Maddie's call, for facilities to report when a, a resident goes missing. But, you know, you'd want to ask as a consumer, as someone who's worried about a loved one, you would want to ask a facility, you know, what do you do to make sure that people don't wander off? That would be one thing to do. Right. Bev, you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I again, some of these will should have been and hopefully were reported as mandated mandated reporters to some agency, and some of these a a loved one or a family member might listen to and they need to report it. So the next one was in Illinois, a, a facility failed to provide adequate medical treatment or response to the concerns of its residents such that one resident who was ill was forced to call 911 himself. When medical personnel came, a nurse tried to prevent his departure from the facility. When the resident finally made it to the hospital, he passed away. According to the physicians at the hospital, this resident may have survived had he received treatment sooner. Bev, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a problem. We had a, something very similar happen in Ohio where um, a resident called 911 and a nurse got on the phone and said, no, it's fine, he always does this, you don't need to come. And then when the fire department said, well, we're just going to go ahead and come anyway and check him out, um, when they arrived, the carbon monoxide detectors on their fire suits went off. So completely unrelated, um, but they by being there, responding to this resident's call, they found um, a very significant carbon monoxide leak in the facility. So um, you just never know, and, and you have to listen to residents. You know, no matter how many times they might complain, you have to listen. That is a great point, and I think uh, um, if a loved one's out there, and, and, and Melanie, I could see somebody in a nursing home telling a loved one, that this is what happened, and, like, it's kind of an unbelievable story, you know, but it happens. And so that has to be reported by the, you know, if, if the loved one hears this, they need to tell somebody. And you all are somebody they can tell in confidence, correct? Right. Okay. And, you know, for us as ombudsman representatives, as you were 
mentioning, Joe. When we get a complaint, even if we get the same complaint from the same resident, the federal law says we need to go and address that complaint. And so, you know, sometimes a resident might say, I've complained about this to others. Maybe they didn't ask the right questions. Maybe they weren't thinking about how might we address this issue. I think that's part of why ombudsman representatives do what they do. They're creative thinkers trying to help residents feel like they're heard and that the issue gets resolved. Well, I think that I think that that's so true. I, I, um, I It's just a horrible situation. The next one they discussed was in Kansas, a facility failed to give a resident their prescribed medication for 12 days after the person was admitted. According to the surveyor, and a surveyor is their term for investigator, I think, um, this deficient practice represented a significant medication error for the resident who was su- subsequently rehospitalized with a blood clot and uncontrolled mental uh, agitation, which required law enforcement intervention. Uh, Bev, Melanie, what do you think here? This is uh, this is something a citizen might hear again needs to tell somebody. Right. A loved one. Right. Yeah. We, we hear about these situations where residents say they aren't given their medication when they should or that they're or they're given medication that they didn't want. One of the recent issues we've found is when a physician discontinues medication, it still comes in a blister pack, and so the facility gives it to the resident even though they're not supposed to take it anymore. So medication errors are are not uncommon in long-term care facilities. So, again, for your listeners, if they think that their loved one isn't getting the medication they should or that they're acting strangely and so they're wondering, are they getting the wrong medication? Call the ombudsman representative. We can be the first ones to sort of take a look and try and advocate on their behalf. Bev, is that the same in Ohio? Do you get a lot of complaints about medication errors? We do, and, you know, what's interesting um, to note here is that when a medication error rises to the point of being cited um, by the state survey agency, the federal regulation allows for a 5% medication error rate. So they don't even really cite the facility until the, the, the error rate is above 5%. So that's pretty disturbing um, yeah. on its face. And so even one missed medication, it might be a pain medication, it could be insulin, that could really make a, a very serious health difference for a resident. So, yes, any time that someone feels like something just isn't right with a resident, maybe they're sleeping all the time, maybe they're especially agitated, it's worth taking a look at whether they've been getting their medications. Right, um, I, I, that it is something I hear. I hear too at a very limited, not like you all. But when the when the seniors come up after a meeting, they'll say, "Well, my 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 husband or my my son or or my my mother, not my son, are having some issues." Uh, the next one is in Michigan, and um, it talked about a resident who had a catheter removed. Uh, who bled through the night, was taken to the hospital the next morning, and he passed away. An interview with the roommate at the facility revealed that the resident was bleeding, bleeding and moaning through the night. At the same facility, another resident who repeatedly complained of pain over a month-long period was ignored. The resident was subsequently hospitalized for several weeks due to an infection. The point here is when you all hear 
a loved one hears about a patient complaining about pain, there is an ear. It's important to tell somebody. Right. right, exactly. So whether it's a situation, I think the first part of this points out what we hear often is that calls for help are not do right. not get responded to timely. That's a problem. Part of that has to do with staffing. And so ombudsman representatives and ombudsman programs across the country, along with other advocates, have been asking for a long time advocating for staffing ratios and a little bit more accountability uh, among the nursing home staff so that calls do get answered. Um, the, the second part of this, when your loved one is complaining of pain right. or, or like Bev was saying, if they're particularly confused and you think well, maybe something's going on with the medication, again, you can call the ombudsman representative that advocates for residents of that facility to help put some emphasis on whatever that issue is to try and resolve it. That's helping. The, the ombudsman deals with, if, if it's requested, with the facility to try to resolve this. Right. So I don't know if this is true in all states, but I know in our state, in Georgia, ombudsman representatives are required by state law to try to work with the facility first oh, okay. before we then would refer it to the survey agency for them to take regulatory action. And a lot of times we are able to resolve problems. And that's the whole goal, resolve it. Right. Bev, is that pretty much your understanding? Yeah, we don't um, have any hard and fast rule about that. We do um, ask our ombudsman to do an investigation and then we have more information we can give the survey agency should we decide to make a referral. But sometimes Consumers call us, and they just want regulatory action, and so we will help them get that um, from the survey agency. So it all sort of depends on what the individual situation is. Well, that's uh, I think that's, again, that's the reason why you, you guys are there to help. Um, our next one, and I'll let Bev handle this yeah, since sure. it's in Ohio. <laughs> A uh, facility failed to assess the resident's nutritional status such that the surveyors identified 14 residents who had lost weight in the last 30 days. One resident's weight loss was to was so severe that the person lost 33 pounds in 31 days, became lethargic, and was hospitalized for malnutrition. Yes, uh, so that facility um, was a special focus facility. It, um, re- it lost its Medicare and Medicaid certification just last week. Um, it was um, uh, given plenty of notice, plenty of opportunity to correct the deficiencies, but uh, they failed to correct their deficiencies. And so I can't remember the exact date, something like May, it was about... May 21st or May 20th um, was when they were terminated and then um, they had, we had 30 days to help residents find new homes. So um, they lost their Medicare Medicaid certification and will be closing and the state has proposed to revoke their license um, to operate as well. Um, So yeah, it's um, this was one of many problems um, at that nursing home and uh, unfortunately, each time the health department went back to verify whether they had corrected deficiencies, 
they found more problems and so and different problems. So um, that facility lost its certification and our hope is that with these special focus facilities and additional scrutiny that they actually graduate, which is um, the ultimate goal of that program. They get the extra scrutiny. They have to really focus um, more heavily on improving quality and then they can move to the improving list and then uh, eventually graduate and that's always our goal. But um, in this case, um, this facility called Uptown Westerville um, ended up uh, losing its certification. Well, as you can see, it's more than one, just one thing and, and, and I think that's great in the cooperative venture that you worked on. Well, we're about to end our third segment and we'll be back. We have a couple more of these uh, situations and then we'll wrap it up. So with that, we'll uh, end the third segment of the Safe Senior Hour. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to our final segment here of the Safe Senior Hour. Again, remember, elder abuse does not report itself, and uh, we're here honored with the um, the state of Ohio's long-term care ombudsman, Beverly Laubert, and uh, Melanie McNeil, the state of Georgia long-term care ombudsman. And we're going over this newly released list uh, and its ramifications um, from the federal government, well, it's from two two senators in Pennsylvania uh, talking about um, nursing homes that might have some significant issues. And we're addressing that. And in that report that we have, we have examples of neglect and abuse among some of these candidates. And we're just going over those uh, types of abuse of how the ombudsman program can help, how they're an ear you can go to, and how we can address it. And, it, and what this we're doing this so the listeners out there understand there are many areas that are of concern and and it probably uh, might at one time be of concern dealing with your loved one that's in a in a uh, nursing home and and they're saying it you're not the only one it happens to that it happens to other people and here are some ways to do it and you always have an ear with the ombudsman program 
So with that, we've got uh, um, this, the, a few more of these examples, but it points out various significant things that happen or can happen in nursing facilities. In Delaware, a facility failed to properly investigate allegations of sexual assault against a member of staff which resulted in the victim not being referred to the hospital for examination until two days after the incident. Additionally, the facility allowed the alleged perpetrator of the abuse to continue working during the investigation with access to the victim. Now, this that's horrible, and, and all that obviously should be reported, should have been reported immediately. But as May 29th, this facility had staffing and quality ratings of five stars, and this goes back to the rating system we talked about. So I'll turn it over to, you know, Melanie, do you have any thoughts on this matter and, and, and the allegations? Well, we do know that the five-star rating is not something that changes from day to day, and so it's not surprising that there might be a delay in a change in the quality ratings as it relates to this issue. If we were made aware, if the ombudsman program were made aware, and we were given permission to report the sexual assault allegation, we would have done that right away. But as happens, sometimes residents are reluctant to get others involved. They, you know, count on the people who who are the staff to protect them. And so this resident reporting to another staff person probably thought that that would help remedy the situation. I think frequently in Georgia, if this were re- were related to a facility, the facility would at least suspend the person who's alleged to have committed the this crime because it is a crime. Uh, so I'm I'm really shocked that this is what happened in this situation. Bev, what do you think in Ohio? Would your would the allegation result in suspension of a staff person? I'm I'm sorry, Melly. Would it result in what suspension? Suspension of the staff person while the investigation were ongoing. Yes, um, most likely. Um, you know, sometimes we'll see a facility just move a staff person to another unit, but that's why it's so important. The Amazon program, we can because we have local presence, and um, in Ohio we have some good resources. Our ombudsman probably would be out there as soon as we heard something because and we would want to make sure that the staff person was removed from resident contact um, pending the investigation so but most of our facilities would just do that automatically um, we don't usually have that type of a of a problem but definitely you know even if the person is removed from like the wing um, where the incident occurred it's also important to make sure that they're not somewhere else in the building. Well, what I've heard on, on several occasions are, are the citizens coming up to us and saying, you know, my loved one says I was sexually assaulted. Um, and that he or she is a bar- and it can happen to both male and female. Right. And that um, they're embarrassed to tell somebody or afraid and that's where I know it's an undue burden on you all, but as they say, that's why you get the big bucks. <laughs> but um, th- you are a perfect outlet for them to tell somebody immediately, and then you all work with them. I mean, obviously, to me, from a law enforcement point of view, this should be reported immediately. Uh, 
but sometimes it, it it's not that easy. Real life isn't that easy, and and I think this idea of this and this is what getting out over the air. If any of your loved ones have told you or or you've heard of them being sexually abused by anybody, whether it's another patient or whether it's a staff person, um, please, please, we encourage you to talk to, to, to somebody, report it, and certainly report it to the ombudsman because they'll handle it in a confidential basis until whatever it is where you can release the information. But I believe this goes on more than we think. I agree. I think it does happen more than, than we know. And what happens sometimes, if a resident tells us that they've been abused in some way, but they won't give us permission to take action, we would talk with the resident about going to talk to other residents to see if they have had a similar experience and if they will allow us to report. So even if a, if a resident says, I don't want you to take any action, we don't just walk away. Uh, sometimes no other residents will tell us either. Right. And we don't know whether they've experienced the same thing, and they're just fearful too, or if they haven't experienced it either way. But what we would do then is visit more frequently. Uh, we might do an in-service with the staff about what abuse is mm-hmm. and that they're mandated reporters. So if they know that this is happening in the building, if they know another staff person is abusing residents, that they have a responsibility to report. So we can do some things even if that one resident says, I don't want you telling anybody. I I am I, familiar with from my law enforcement coordination position. I know of, of situations not only here, but I believe in Tennessee and other states. They've had a rash of, of staff people using their phones. You know, your phones now are movie cameras and, and, and regular cameras and of taking photos and a lot of times of a, maybe a sexual thing or something of the uh, of of the patient, and and those are that need to be reported. This is not a uh, it's not a free for all where they can just do this, and because then they put it on the internet or they'll pass it among each other and everybody laughs and makes fun. This, these aren't you know laughing matters. So I think that's an issue. And then another issue, we did have an individual. In a long-term, uh, I guess, I believe, assisted living um, woman, very bad dementia, in a room by herself, and somebody noticed, and then finally got to a right uh, that that a a staff person was constantly a male was going in this room, and there was like no reason, and they brought it to the attention of a of a worker there, of a, 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 a worker they trust. And that was reported to the police, and that person was arrested because it was determined that the woman was being raped by this gentleman almost on a daily basis. So, But it started with somebody senses something's wrong. And thank God there were uh, cameras uh, in the hallway showing this individual going in every day. So I, th- the point I want to say, this sexual allegations uh, happens more than we think, and and and. Going to law enforcement, people don't want to do it. So hopefully this will get the message out. Go to the ombudsman. Get it off your chest. Tell somebody. So we're down to, I've got another one that's very pertinent, and it's not just because it's a great place to go, Hawaii. But in Hawaii, a facility failed to correct an insect infestation, such as there were cockroaches and ants near the residence on countertops and crawling on medical charts. 
As of May 29th, this facility had an overall rating of two stars with a quality rating of five stars. What does all of that mean? Beth, do you want to comment? Yeah, I mean, the star rating is made up of a number of different factors that um, Melanie referred to earlier. There's a rating for staffing. There's a rating for quality measures that are derived from assessments of residents. And then there's a rating um, derived from their survey history, their regulatory compliance history. So you might have a facility with four stars in staffing, um, two stars in quality measures, and a star for um, uh, regulatory compliance. So it kind of goes back to my original thought about just needing to know what makes up those stars and not just being dependent on the stars, find out what's beneath them. Um, so, yeah, it's um, these, the infestation um, example, I mean, it happens, and we get complaints about that, and we go in, and the facility will say, well, we have an exterminator, and they'll show us the receipts, and, you know, sometimes we just have to say, well, what you're doing isn't working, so right. you've got to figure out another way to We're, solve this problem. V- very true. They have the situation here in Atlanta, there's a civil suit being filed against a, 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 uh, I believe, assistant living. No, it was a nursing home, I think, where they, um, the, the, the loved ones came in and saw all these ants all over the body of their loved ones. And, and then apparently uh, the person came in and just brushed them off, and they came back and they were there the next day. So they just said, this is, this is you know, excuse me, somebody should have been reported this, should have been reporting this to somebody and so, um, actually, it ended up with an infection of the of the patient. So, I, I think we've addressed a, a lot of the issues. I can't thank you all enough. We're, we're coming to an end of, of the show today. But, but uh, Beverly, I, we really appreciate you coming on and and uh, and giving us your insight. And Melanie, as always, we appreciate it. And the message is, there is somebody out there for the citizens who. Uh, will listen to what you have to say about your loved ones, and they do it in a confidential basis. And again, take advantage of them. They are all hardworking people, and they'll do the best they can. But again, there is an ear. So with that, I want to thank you both, and we're going to end today's uh, hour of the Safe Senior Hour. And remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.